This is episode 404 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, What If There Isn't Enough Energy Going Forward? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, welcome to another week of podcast episodes. Hey, I want to welcome you. And if you are new, thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to uh, come on over to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com and subscribe to the show. Hey, I want to just give you a couple of things before we get into the article because it's a really interesting article. You might not, you know, right off the bat with the name of uh, or the title of the article, you might be like, well, what the heck? You know, why is that important to me? But uh, you'll see why that's so important to preparedness, uh, especially as we get towards the end of that article and what that how that all translate translates to you. And so, uh, you know, just stick around just for a second. But I got a couple of things. If you listen to or maybe you opened up your your podcast catcher or however you listen to the podcast, if you opened it up this weekend, you might have seen that I uploaded a special or a bonus episode, episode 403. And that episode is actually an interview that I had with uh, blogger and author Mick Rowland. And we did that on a Facebook Live, but I was able to bring down the audio and uh, work with the audio, and I uploaded it. And so it's very interesting. The The title of that episode is The Power of the Prepper Community. And really, uh, Mick was bouncing off of you know some ideas that we talked about and then also uh, some themes in his book the, that he's uh, written. And so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that or maybe you're kind of like confused and like, Todd, what in the heck? What happened here? I just I just did a bonus episode. And so I do have that in the title of the episode. It's a bonus episode. I released that on Friday night so that it would be there Saturday. So maybe you might have a little bit of catching up to do if uh, if that's the case. But uh, regardless, I think that's a, it was a great interview. And I might do that in the future because I'm looking to do more interviews in uh, on on Facebook Live, and so I've uh, if if that's not something that you do on a regular basis, you go over to the Facebook page. Uh, I've recently announced that I'm not going to do every Thursday night. It was just kind of getting a little too much for me, but I do want to do. I, w- I want to at least try to do one interview a month, and so I have one scheduled for this Thursday, September 20th. Uh, Dr. Scott Tunis of Survival Guard. And he will be with me live on Facebook Live on uh, Thursday night at 8 o'clock p.m. So that's September 20th if you happen to listen to this podcast a little bit later on. But the cool thing about it is that it's always on Facebook. And so you'll always be able to see the video there. And if I can, I will download the audio. And if it's good quality or, you know, I can I can play with it a little bit, I will upload it to the podcast as well. And so I'm going to continue to try to do interviews. Uh, I'll, I'll remind you of this one, but I'm going to continue to do interviews uh, on once, at least once a month. And so I already have one lined up for October as well. So really excited about that. All right. So another thing that I'm really excited about, I spent a lot of time getting this little project done. Um, I had emails from people and it just kind of really makes sense because I talk about my ebook on the on the podcast 
And for the most part, many of you that are listening to this podcast, y'all don't, it's like Todd, we, we appreciate the podcast because we don't have time to actually read. We're just so busy. We're on the go. And uh, I got emails when I first released my ebook and they said, Todd, are you, are you going to do an audio version of that? Because we, I'd, I'd love to be able to buy that audio version. And so I just didn't do it. I didn't have time to do it. And it's been you know, kind of crazy for me. So I buckled down and I took some time to record the audio version and uh, put it all together. And so I, I want to let you know, I'm, you're the first to hear about this, that I have released the audio version of my ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. And so just like the ebook, Buying the audio book will give you access to the Prepper website forums as well. So to kick it off and to kind of celebrate this first time out the door, uh, I'm going to go ahead and put an introductory offer on the audio book of $7.99. And so there is a link in the show notes that takes you over to the website, uh, the Prepper website podcast.com and the ebook and audio book download page and so you just you know scroll down to where you purchase the audiobook and you just click on it and it'll take you to the screen to do that you'll get an email with all the information that you need um, you know like I said there's a 799 uh, th- that will get you the audiobook and access to the prepper website forums but then there's also you know from time to time people say hey Todd how can I support you and so one of the things that I did also is like if you want to support you want to buy the audiobook but you just want to support prepper website and what I'm doing there is that found Founder uh, or founders option that you can purchase, and uh, that's fifty dollars, and that will get you the audiobook. That will get you a link on Prepper website if you create a microbiz and you want to. You, know, you want me to link a, a one-time link to your website. It will get you into the the Prepper website forums, and it will also give you. Uh, a special graphic that just lets everyone know that you are a founder of the Prepper Website Forums and you have supported Prepper Website in that way. And so, uh, again, it's going to be in the show notes if you're interested in that, the audiobook version of it. I'm, uh, I'm proud of it and glad I, glad I did it. And so hopefully that'll be a blessing to you. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from peakprosperity.com. And like I said, very interesting. It is entitled, What If There Isn't Enough Energy Going Forward? We'll be forced to live with less, maybe a lot less. So let's go ahead and read this. Currently, the media is breathlessly cheering the record amounts of U.S. oil production. Stories like this one get top billing on major news websites. Quote, Texas Gulf Coast exports more oil than it imports for the first time. It's a big achievement that highlights a surge in U.S. oil exports, and that shows how the shell boom can make America less reliant on foreign oil. It's a definite milestone. Nobody saw this coming 10 years ago, said Bob McNally, president of consulting firm Rapidan Energy Group and former energy official under President George W. Bush. It's an unambiguously good thing. It diversifies our dependence from the volatile Middle East. Texas is the epicenter of the Shell Revolution, with soaring production in the oil-rich Permian base leading the United States to record output. Rapid technological advances in fracking, the process of unlocking oil and gas deposits underground, have dramatically reduced the cost to drill oil in the Permian Basin. Texas is now on track to produce more oil than either Iran or Iraq. 
That would make Texas number three in the world if it were a country. End quote. Sounds pretty wonderful, right? Technology advances in the fracking process have enabled the Shell miracle, resulting in the U.S. producing over 10 million barrels per day for the first time since the 1970s. Think of all the incremental GDP growth that excess oil will power. If these trends continue, CNN goes on to tell us the U.S. will become a net energy exporter soon. Quote, The United States will still rely on foreign oil, but not as much. The gap between oil imports and exports shrank to a 24-year low of 6.8 million barrels per day in 2017, according to the EIA. Even though the economy is stronger, U.S. oil imports fell to 7.8 million barrels per day in May. That's down from more than 9 million barrels per day as recently as mid-2012. So here's the reality check. Let's take a moment to conduct a little reality check of the hype. First off, notice how the CNN article above mentions that the U.S. is still importing 7.8 million barrels per day. That's not much less than the record levels we're currently extracting from our own soil. So domestic oil production would have to nearly double from here to turn the U.S. into a net oil exporter. Translation, we're not weaning ourselves off of foreign oil anytime soon under the best of conditions. Next, a key assumption the Shell cheerleaders are making is that current output trends will continue. That Shell Basin like the Permian will yield increasing volumes of crude from here well into the future. As petroleum geologist Art Berman has explained to us in numerous podcasts, Shell oil, called tight oil, wells deplete very differently than conventional oil wells. Oil extraction from a conventional well over time follows a bell curve. It's on the left. And so there's a, couple, there's a lot of graphics here in this, uh, this article that you might be interested in. Where it takes roughly as many years as it did to hit the apex of production as it does for the well to peter out. Shell wells, on the other hand, deplete in a hyperbolic curve in the right. There's a, there's a graphic for this as well. Roughly 80% of shell wells Total output is exhausted by the end of year two. So to increase production from a shell basin, you have to drill more and more wells to overcompensate for the rapid decline of each individual well. This is referred to as the Red Queen Syndrome, where eventually you're having to drill more and more aggressively just to maintain a constant or flat level of output. So again, graphics here, very telling here. An even bigger problem with this approach is that shell basins are not infinite. Eventually, they deplete. You run out of well sites to drill. And well quality within a basin tends to degrade over time. Humans being humans, we tend to pursue the best well prospects first and then move on to lower and lower grade prospects as the better wells dry up. In fact, production for most major U.S. shell basins like the Bacon and Eagle Ford declined substantially from the peaks in 2015 to the beginning of this year. They've both seen a resurgence in output over 2018 as oil has risen to the $70 per barrel range, though the big question is how long can this new surge last? It's also important to keep in mind that estimates of how much oil in these basins is actually economically recoverable as not rock solid. Over the past decade, estimates for several large shell basins have been drastically reduced once better data started coming in from oil explorers. The Utica play is a good example of this. 
but none is more extreme than the Monterey Basin, which was reduced overnight in 2014 by a whopping 96%. Right, And so they're quoting an LA Times article here, uh, quote, U.S. officials cut estimates of recoverable Monterey shell oil by 96%. Federal energy authorities have slashed by 96% the estimated amounts of recoverable oil buried in California's vast Monterey shell deposits, deflating its potential as a national black gold mine of petroleum. Just 600 million barrels of oil can be extracted with existing technology far below the 13.7 billion barrels once thought recoverable from the jumbled layers of subterranean rock spread across much of central California the U.S. Energy Information Administration said. The Monterey Shell Formation contains about two-thirds of the nation's shell oil reserves. It had been seen as an enormous bonanza, reducing the nation's need for foreign oil imports through the use of the latest in extraction techniques, including acid treatments, horizontal drilling, and fracking. The Energy Agency said the earlier estimates of recoverable oil issued in 2011 by an independent firm under contract with the government broadly assumed that deposits in the Monterey Shell Formation were as easily recoverable as those found in shell formations elsewhere. The estimate touched off a speculation boom among oil companies. The new findings seem certain to dampen that enthusiasm. So take that in for a moment. Two-thirds of the U.S. Shell oil reserves suddenly declared essentially useless or unobtainable. So why this matters? Because energy is essential to the economy. It powers economic activity. More energy equals more growth. Less energy equals economic contraction. There's a plethora of charts out there showing this one-to-one -one correlation between energy expended and economic growth. Here's just one. So as energy goes, so goes the economy. As we've covered in great depth on this website and in the Crash Course video series, the world remains addicted to liquid fuels and nearly all of those today are fossil based. Even under the best case scenarios, the world will continue to be fossil fuel dependent for decades to come. Looking at projections for world liquid fuel demands, we see demands continuing to grow substantially as shown in this chart from ExxonMobil. 2018 Outlook for Energy of You to 2040 report. And so it has here, you know, the biggest uh, the biggest numbers here for conventional crude and uh, condensate, and then deep water, oil sands, tight oil, which is that shell oil, natural gas, other liquids, and biofuels. Note, a few important observations here. Conventional oil production is projected to decrease, while total oil production, that's conven conventional plus deep water plus sands plus tight, will increase. And tight, which is the shell oil, will be the biggest contributor to filling this gap. Now, remember above, the shell play depletes much faster than the conventional fields, and we've already gone after the richest basins deposits. A big question to answer is, can we really count on the shell industry to provide this much new oil for this long? Petroleum geologists like Art Berman don't think so. He sees the current spike in shell output as a relatively short-term event, a pleasant windfall that will exhaust itself much faster than most realize. He refers to this current bonanza as not a new dawn for U.S. oil productions, but as its retirement party. We've also cautioned not to put much faith in the conventional oil supply projections, 
as the industry is notorious for overestimating remaining deposits. This chart, referred to as the hedgehog chart by oil analysis, shows how nearly every year the IEA has been forced to downgrade its previous production projections for conventional oil. So the existing fields may deplete faster than we think and there may be less economically recoverable supply than we currently forecast. Furthermore, a lot of investment is required to get all of this future liquid fuel out of the ground into market. The chart below from the same ExxonMobil study shows that roughly 80% of the supply from today's current wells will be gone in the next 20 years. With the shell oil producers losing money every year for the past decade, with oil producers underinvesting in capex for much of that time and the risk of global recessions returning, will the full investment necessary to meet world liquid fuel demand actually be made? So what if there isn't enough energy to meet world demand? What if future oil supply comes up short? either from lack of investment or faster-than-expected depletion of the shell plays and or the conventional ones or whatever. For a world addicted to liquid fossil fuels, what would the ramifications be? Transportation specialist Alice Friedman has made a career of warning of how bad things could get depending on the swiftness and severity of a liquid fuels emergency. Best known for her book, When Trucks Stop Running, here's her forecast of what would happen should our trucking system shut down for lack of fuel. Day one without trucks. Manufacturers and assembly lines that use just-in-time delivery will shut down when parts run out or storage for finished products fills up. Hospitals will run out of supplies like syringes and catheters within hours. Milk and fresh bread will run out. Day two without trucks. Food shortages will escalate, especially in the face of hoarding and consumer panic. Supplies of essentials and perishable foods will disappear. Restaurants and fast food outlets close. ATMs will run out of cash. Construction stops. Pharmacies close. Americans generate 685,000 tons of trash per day. Garbage will start piling up in urban and suburban areas, creating a health hazard. Day 3 without trucks. Most service stations will run out of fuel. Widespread layoffs in the manufacturing sector. Wastewater sludge becomes a problem as tanks at treatment plants are now full. Work on infrastructure stops as repairs can't be undertaken. Public transport, fire, police, ambulances, telecommunications, utilities, mail, and other essential services stop. Day 4 without trucks. The repercussions start to reverberate globally as 48,000 imported containers per day can't be unloaded off of ships. Exports stop too. All fuel supplies are depleted from service stations. Many people can't get to work. With no fuel, airplanes and railroads shut down. Garbage is piling up and has become a sanitary problem. Britain is out of beer. <laughs> I don't know where that's coming from, but there you go. Day 5 without truck transport. Drinking water is depleted. The delay of weekly deliveries of chemicals has meant that water treatment plants can no longer guarantee that water is fit to drink. Industrial production stops. A large proportion of the labor force is laid off or unable to get to work. Travel and recreation stop. Healthcare is confined to emergency services. Utilities have localized disruption of gas and electricity and due to lack of fuel can't pump water and gas. 
repair broken water and gas networks, etc. Livestock begin to suffer from lack of feed deliveries, waste accumulates, ranchers can't transport animals to slaughterhouses, meat production stops. The Swedish alcohol retail monopoly is out of alcohol. Within four weeks, the nation will exhaust its clean water supply and water will be safe for drinking only after boiling. If this happened at harvest time, many crops will rot in the fields. The Department of Defense supply chain will break down, crippling the military in ways no adversary has been able to achieve. Global financial collapse, a halt of international trade, would bring the financial system down probably sooner than this. And this is just a partial list of what would occur. So where are we in the energy story? Friedman certainly paints a frightening picture of how bad things could get. How likely is it to get that bad? Where are we in the energy story? Are we flirting with disaster or are things closer to the rosy outlook we read about in the media? These are important questions. Depending on the answers to them, very different actions need to be taken. So it's important to get as clear a picture as possible of what the likeliest developments from here are and then determine your best path to prepare. Which is why we're hosting our webinar, The Energy Predicament, this Sunday. Okay, so this is um, this has already happened. That webinar has already happened. But if you are interested in it, um, the, the webinar features Art Berman, Alice Friedman, along with oil and gas well operator Bob Burr to provide both anal analytical as well as boots on the ground perspective. So if you are interested in looking at that webinar, you can still go and watch the, the replay of it. And uh, it costs $30. And, you know, of course, they've got to pay the people that are doing it. And uh, that's the way that they continue funding what they're doing for this on Peak Prosperity, uh, the website. And so uh, if you're interested in looking at that, you can go check that out. Um, I don't know where we are. I, I can only guess. Um, you know, we talk about shell oil all the time. I know that there is a boom here in Texas. But I know that almost, uh, I guess it was probably a year and a half ago. I was getting my hair cut and there was two guys, they didn't know each other, but they started talking. And, and so, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of people there. So they were just freely talking back and forth while they were getting their hair cut. They both worked on, you know, out in the field and one of them had just gone back to work and the other one was, he'd been off work for a while trying to find work. And so things I know have picked up because I know things are, are booming in certain uh, places in Texas, but you know how long will that be able to you know, be able to last? Not only that, but the fact that the the shell oil, I mean, and the fracking and the way that they do that, the chemicals that they use, and and uh, just the environmental. I mean, this article doesn't even touch on that aspect of it, and we have that that we need to be dealing with. Uh, I had I worked with someone that was from Oklahoma, and her father was in oil, and you know, with all the fracking there, you see every once in a while if you track earthquakes you see things going on in Oklahoma and it really used to never happen like that but it's attributed a lot of it to the fracking that's going on and so you know we're not even touching the environmental aspect of what they're doing and how they're extracting all of this um, you know this shell oil and stuff but then it's, it's a pretty scary thing and I know people have been talking about peak oil for a very very long time and, uh, you know, be like, hey, people have been talking about this for a long time. Why should I even be worried about it? But it doesn't take very long. You know, panic. When people start panicking and the word, maybe word gets out, it's like, hey, wait a minute. Things aren't as rosy as you think they look. 
and people start to panic and people start to freak out and that's when things start getting crazy just like when they start talking about gun grabs and all the ammo flies off of the shelves right I don't even know if they're recovered from the 22 long rifle I mean I know you can find them out there you can find the bricks they're not as, as cheap as they were back in the day before the you know all the ammo started flying off the shelf but uh, you know it's the same kind of concept and word starts getting out about hey wait a minute oil and things are going to start costing more and so again guys this is one aspect right one data point in the whole world that we're looking at all the things that are happening things that are going on in the middle east things that are happening with other countries things that are going on with trade things that are going on with our economy right and and uh, things that are going on with the stock market and then uh, you know we talked about pandemics last week and all these different things and again we don't freak out we don't get crazy. We don't go into our bunkers and hide. We stay prepped and aware. And that's one reason why we prep, you know. That's one reason why we 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 take care of our families. We do what we need to do so that we are able to do this. But it is a very scary, apocalyptic feel, you know, to this if all those things, if the trucks stop running. And that is a pretty scary thing, you know, just the fact of, you know, the sewer is not working and water. I mean, you, we are so used to turning on the tap and water being there. And, you know, even if you have water storage, you have water storage for a certain amount of time. Eventually that's going to run out. And then you, they talked a little bit about that boil, you know, boiling water. Maybe that's one of those times where you have a distiller, you know, and you need to look into a distiller having, a, having one of those. So I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of things to consider here, but Something to kind of keep in the back of your mind and one of those things to pay attention to and another reason why to be a little bit more serious about you know being prepared and knowing what you need to know to be prepared. So guys, that's over at peakprosperity.com. Like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And so you can go, you can link to, or you can check out the graphics that are there. They have other links. Um, some of the guys that they talked about that have been on their podcast. You can link over to those podcasts and listen to those episodes if you're interested in that. And uh, you can check out their webinar if, uh, if you uh, want to do that. And so uh, like always, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 404. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.